Hello, this is Rafal Davidovich. Get ready for a longer shear today. It is Parsha Thursday over here, where we cover the Parsha. This week is Parsha's Vayishlach, which has a story of some difficulty. And that is the story of the city of Shechem and its destruction by Shimon and Levi. And I think this story has generated considerable controversy, considerable confusion over the years, and by years I mean over the centuries. And I think I want to tackle this story in a way that I haven't noticed tackled in the past. I know somewhere online, perhaps in one of the old shiurim that I gave on Facebook, you can find it. But I'm going to repeat some of that. So if you've heard this before, that's fine. I'm going to restate the story and my view of it right now. I don't want to summarize the story. You can all look it up yourselves. This is in chapter 34 in Beratius, Periklamid Dalet. The issue is, just assuming you've read the story and that you know the details after having read chapter 34, what justifies Shimon and Levi and what they did? Namely, that the brothers told Shechem after he had already captured and was in possession of Dina after having raped her. Instead of going to war head-on or doing anything head-on, they tell them that the only way for them to join as, an, as a, a united nation, an Am Echad, was if the people of Shechem would agree to ha- have themselves circumcised. And then they a- agreed to it. And after having agreed to it, Shimon and Levi entered the city and killed every single man in Shechem and then took all the rest of the people and the spoils and returned them to their own encampment. What could justify such behavior? So if you look up in any uh, text that has a commentary, you'll probably notice the Rambam. The Rambam's view is that this action was allowed because Shechem and the people of his community agreed to engage in the kidnapping of Dina and therefore were in violation of the Sheva Mitzvot Bnei Noach, not only of the kidnapping, but having an unjust society, meaning not putting in place a, a court system of judges, which is one of the Sheva Mitzvot Bnei Noach, and therefore they were condemned to death, meaning these were capital crimes. There are those who disagree. What I would like to suggest right now is not so much a defense of the Rambam, but I would like to put the words of the Rambam in a different way. I won't say I'm arguing with the Rambam. I don't do that kind of thing. But I think that there are many clues in the text of the story that make clear that something was going on that I would call much deeper than simply a violation of Sheva Mitzvah Pnei Noach. And here goes. If you take a look at what happened, Dina goes out to visit the Benos Haaretz, which could be read as the daughters of the land, or there are places where Banos can mean the surrounding communities. Dina was going out, and she obviously felt that she was safe. The question is, why would she feel that she could just walk around? You might say, well, maybe the streets were safe at night, so to speak. Clearly, the streets were not safe. But who are they not safe from? It's not that they weren't safe from criminals. They were not safe from leaders. The Pesach says this, The leader of the land. 
and then he took her. And then, when the brothers come home from having been out in the field, and Chamor and Shechem come with their offer, they make it clear that since Shechem wishes to marry Dina, which he didn't care to do at the beginning, they could then enter into some form of treaty. And it is then that the brothers say that they can only enter into this treaty if the men agree to be circumcised. What we have here, and bear with me here, because I know this might sound strange to you, but we have heard this story before. You might say, well, we never heard a story like this before. Yes, we actually heard it some three times already. This story with Dina is the equivalent in Yaakov's lifetime of the story that we have already heard known as the She Is My Sister series of stories. You see, She Is My Sister, the, all those stories, the two times that this happened with Avram Avinu and the one time that this happened with Yitzchak Avinu, spell out one of the most painful parts of Jewish history in Golos, which is the vulnerability of Jews when in other people's lands. The Jewish people have always had a special vulnerability when it comes to entering into another country. I would say that this vulnerability existed all the way up until World War I, and then most countries of the world adopted a modern position in which Jews were granted civil rights. Until then, even the countries in which Jews enjoyed some amount of financial security and financial success, Jews were extremely vulnerable in those countries. And I don't just I don't mean vulnerability to crime. I mean on a deeper sense, the way that Shem displayed over here vulnerability to the whims of whichever leaders were in those countries. Because as long as the Jews insisted on maintaining their outsider status, meaning that they said, we would like to come into your country, but we have our own ways, we have our own customs, and we have no intention of intermarrying with the general population, then the Jewish people would be, would be in possession of an outsider status. This existed throughout Europe, this existed in the Middle East, and because of this, they were always vulnerable. And I would add, they were vulnerable in the way that Dina was vulnerable. In the way that Sarah was vulnerable to Paro and to Avimelech. And in the way that Rivka was vulnerable to Avimelech. And in the way that Dina ultimately was vulnerable to Shechem. Because the point here of this story is not about a crime being committed against an individual. It is the city of Shechem, the people of Shechem, not only the man Shechem. You notice that Shechem means the name of the city, but it also means the name of the person over here. They were telling Yaakov and his family, you're coming into our land, you do what we want. And then even when they come to make this agreement, they are not making the agreement on terms of equality. Their words sound so buttery, so beautiful. Come, listen, I really want to marry your daughter. Let's make a deal. 
and then we can do business together. Which is exactly the point that happened with Avram and with Yitzchak. Which is, we want your women, and then we can do business together. Meaning, let's all just assimilate with one another, become one nation, and everything will be fine. And your women will not be vulnerable anymore. But when do they say this? They don't say this before meeting with Dina. They say this afterwards, giving themselves the upper hand. You know, if the expression that possession is nine-tenths of the law is true, de facto, as a fact, if not in often in law, then over here, they were coming from a position of strength that they already had Dina. So as beautiful as their words sound, and as sincere as they sound, and as sincere as they acted from the fact that they agreed to this extreme move of being circumcised, they would only do so from the position of strength after having taken Dina. Telling Yaakov and Yaakov's sons that they were, in as outsiders, in a position of weakness. So now, when the story develops, and Shimon and Levi capture, uh, sorry, not capture, they kill everyone in Shechem, and then they take the spoils of war. And by the way, as was pointed out to me today, there are commentaries that say that it isn't just Shimon and Levi who took the spoils, but Shimon and Levi's brothers joined in to despoil the city and took everything, you see very clearly here that this is not a this is not an issue of individual crime of Sheva Minsus Bnei Noach alone. This is an issue of war. Yaakov and his people were essentially a nation, a tribe. And the nation tribe of the Chivi that's Shechem and his community, by taking Dina, declared war on Yaakov and his family. The same way, even though you might say, well, it's just Yaakov and it's 11 sons and a daughter and they got sheep, but they were a nation. This was an act of war. And Yaakov waited until his sons returned before acting to decide the position to take in terms of war not in terms of individual crime. And that's what justifies the taking of spoils. Spoils are not just something that you take because you feel like it. The idea of shivya, the idea of taking everything, is clearly a halacha in hilchos milchama, the laws of war. The taking of spoils also has to do with war, which is why I think later when Yaakov tells them to get rid of all of their avodazara, and they all they bury it under this tree, I think this has to do with the halachos, that usually when you go and you take spoils of war, you are allowed to take everything, even things that are otherwise forbidden. The Ramam says that a conquering Jewish nation on while conquering a city, could actually eat treif while they are there. And not only that, we have the halacha b'eshesifas toar, a woman who's taken captive who be, can become the wife of a 
conquering soldier. So it stands to reason that they might have thought that the same thing applied to all the gold and silver that they took, even if the gold and silver had been used for idol worship. Yaakov told them that that was not the case, but the understanding uh, that this would be the correct practice is reasonable. So when you understand the story as an act of war, and you see that what Shimon and Levi did was a counterattack, and that Yaakov's objection to them afterwards, he says, look, you made me look bad. I don't have the numbers to fight a war against them. You see that Yaakov's uh, being upset with Shimon and Levi is not simply a matter of how could you go bonkers like that. He's specifically addressing them in words of war and the language of the laws of war because he understands that it's the it's war that was done to them and it is war that they gave back because they understood that had they surrendered Dina and come to some sort of agreement to allow Dina to remain married to Shechem that that would be a sign of weakness that they, they as Jews, we're calling Jews, would forever be vulnerable to the whims of the people of Shechem, no matter how nice the people of Shechem made it sound when they offered peace after having attacked. If you take a look again at chapter 34, you'll see that everything I said fits perfectly within the wording. The only question that exists after this explanation is why Yaakov was upset with them when he blessed them before their before his death, where he says, cursed is their anger. And I think that has to do with the fact that Shimon and Levi acted from a place of ang anger and indignation instead of the clear thinking that is required when going, when planning, strategizing a war. Notice Yaakov does not blame the other brothers for taking spoils. And the, the, his accusation against them in this parsha was they acted maybe too quickly while they did not yet have enough strength to wage war against the other nations. But as we see when they left Shechem afterwards, the people, the nations, the tribes in the surrounding countryside were afraid of them and stayed far away from them, which is a sign that in a way God historically justified their actions, even though it seemed quite shocking at the time. So anyway, that's my explanation of the story and its many details. And I really wanted to go through it piece by piece, line by line in a way. I didn't go through it line by line literally, but I wanted to explain several of the elements over here uh, in order to explain that what they did was truly, even from a modern day perspective, quite justifiable and that we shouldn't be ashamed of this story. I know it sounds shocking, and it sounds cruel on a certain level, but if it was meant to be just shocking and cruel for no other lesson, it wouldn't have been here in Chumash. I think there are practical lessons as well, as far as understanding the Jewish position in Golis, in exile. We obviously don't want to engage in these kinds of activities now, you'll say, but now around the world, Jews are offered far more in way of protection than they ever have been before. The amount of legal protections and constitutional protections and international protections that are offered are quite considerable. And if you can bring me examples like people being taken hostage in Turkey for taking pictures, 
You'll say, look, the Jews are not as vulnerable or not as protected. Well, if you take a look closely at that story that just transpired this week, this is November of 2021, of the story of the couple that was uh, taken, was uh, put under arrest for taking pictures of the presidential palace in Turkey, then you'll see that a number of the elements that were there in the Shem story are not there in the Turkish story. And uh, I think there are other things that can be learned in terms of how Jews can properly assert themselves to be equals in the world and not at the whim of the nations of the world until the day comes where Hashem will make sure that the Jewish people will be protected and that we will no longer suffer under Shibud Malchios, under the oppression of nations in various little ways with the coming of Mashiach. Take care, everybody. Have a good night.